George Mario Angel Quintero is a bilingual poet, uh, author, playwright, theater director, artist, and musician. He's the son of Colombian parents. He was born in San Francisco, where he spent his first 30 years, and he studied at uh, the University of California. He has published uh, many books, uh, two books of fiction in English under the name of George Angel, and uh, his poetry and essays in English, in English have been published in literary magazines in the chapbook Globo, and most recently in a collection of new and selected poems on The Voice. Since 1995, he has lived in Medellin, uh, in Colombia, where he has published six collections of poetry and three books of plays in Spanish under the name of Mario Ángel Quintero. Uh, he is, uh, has been the director and playwright of the theatre company Parpado Teatro since 2003. Uh, he's also, uh, he, uh, I said he was a musician, and you will see that there are CDs available at the back after this event. One of his great inspirations has been the work of the Peruvian poet César Vallejo, who may or may not be mentioned during his exchanges with uh, Professor Richard Gwynne, uh, a Welsh writer, translator, poet, who studied anthropology at the LSE before traveling across Europe and later studying linguistics. He has published several books of poetry. He's written fiction. Uh, the Color of a Dog Running was his first novel. And he has translated poetry and fiction by Latin American writers. Uh, back in the 1970s, I found out that he performed at various punk gigs with his poetry and was a support act for The Cure before deciding to move to Crete and buying a small fishing boat and living uh, a life of semi-exile. He has also written a memoir called The Vagabond's Breakfast. Uh, he reviews books for The Independent as deeply interested in threatened cultures, perhaps the Catalan he might talk about, and the languages and music of peripheral com uh, communities. Um, I'm not going to say anything else. I'm just going to ask you, please, to welcome them. Blah, 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 Mamapa, mapa, mapa, pa mapa, pama, panana, pana, pana, panade, panade me, de me, bla, bla, ble, inhablable, pana, nade. Pamapa me. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I can ought say, for not I flail to map myself. It's um, <laughs> an interesting introduction. It, it's odd 
to find that one's own work sometimes descends into wordlessness, but I'm afraid that that is the case with my work. And it sometimes tries to aspire beyond or rise above words as well. Uh, this reading, to some extent, I would like to uh, cluster around uh, that rising and falling. Uh, the, the, I think of my mother, who now has very advanced Alzheimer's, and her slipping away from language and being able to talk and what is left afterwards and the kind of direct experience that we have even though we're never sure whether we can define it once we are bereft of words. Well, I'm, the image that I have in my head, I probably remember from the Old Testament, is when Jacob is wrestling an angel he looks and he sees a ladder of rising and falling angels. And um, sometimes I think that perhaps that's our lot in life. We're stuck wrestling the angel and we never really get to rise very far or really fall very far. Um, but, but that's what this poetry reading is going to be about to some extent. It's going to be about rising, aspiring and it's going to be about falling and failing and falling apart. So, um, in that spirit, I want to begin with a, a poem. I'll be reading them in these, all these poems, by the way, even though you might wonder what language that first poem was in, uh, were originally written in Spanish. Okay, And I am doing something that I hate to do, but I will do it in this case, and I will read the English translations so that I have translated. Um, and that I hope disappear into oblivion after this reading. Uh, but for the sake of our communicating, uh, they're absolutely necessary today. So, right, exactly. All of them, I'll read them in Spanish and all of them in English. So this first one is, is about this, this backsliding, this kind of falling. Uh, and uh, it's about sort of the momentum of my unmaking. Those of us who have reached a certain age realize that the peak in terms of virility, etc., is behind us, and that what is left is sort of this small uh, forest of indignity which we have to kind of cross. So, uh, in honor of that uh, landslide, um, the, the following poem. I'll read it in Spanish first. Derrumbe. En un chaparrón de visiones se rebosa el balde craneal. Tragarse el reflejo. Mi garganta quiere lanzar respuestas, pero se ve por su ojo húmedo. Se ve inundada por caprichos. Sobre mis huellas amontono el pellejo rojizo del brote de un recuerdo. He deshojado mi ramaje vertebral La grasa se chorrea como parafina barata. Me deslizo por mis mangueras neumáticas y fluviales. Todas mis vejigas se humillan. Ya no soporto ser una estructura, el abrazo de la jaula. En este momento cago mis, mis costillas para sacarlas, para alejarlas de mí. Solo queda de mí 
un asterisco. Landslide. In a downpour of visions, the cranial bucket overflows. Swallowing is a reflex. My throat wants to hurl out answers, but sees itself, sees itself through its wet eye flooded with whims. On top of the prints I leave, I pile my skin, chafed from sprouting a memory. I have dropped the leaves from my spinal branch work. Fat streams down like cheap paraffin. I slide through fluvial and pneumatic hoses. All my bladders humiliate themselves. I could not stand being a structure. The cages embrace. I chose this moment to defecate my ribs, to get them out, to get them away from me. All that is left of me now is an asterisk. Okay, that's obviously going down. Now let's try going up. Um, this is about, you know, that first time one looks up and sees the stars and tries to make that connection between the eye and that, that glimmering point, that which could be that first look up could be the, the birth of, of aspiration. It's a kind of ricocheted dialogue with light. Um, uh, I don't know if you've ever tried to cover the stars with your fingers, as if they were like the holes in a flute, you know? If, and you could play different sort of melodies with them as you look. So um, this one I read in English first, and then I'll read in Spanish. I'm not sure if it'll be obvious why or not. More flames now, hand, cloth of candles, look at them, go to the... They are extremely stars. Between them sparks what more? The tablecloth of once. What table holds the frame of the cloth bow? Inky, inky tink of moths around an opio, pejoratic holes in the net of gold. Tickle chorus, bone, only that. There is no orphan sun. Polar is to go, porous, iris, dress the wings, pelvis, sacrum lens, ring of clouds, spacious coat without moon buttons. For the hours, shoulder glimpse, rise, threads, duty, nerve, sphere, reflection, thing, burns. No more for now. Llamas, llamas. Mano, tela de velas, mirarlas, irarlas. Ellas extremamente estrellas, entre ellas destellos, ¿qué más? El mantel de vez, ¿qué mesa mantiene el marco del arco tela? Tinta, tin de polillas, alrededor de huecos optiopoélicos, en la red de oro, coro de cosquillas, pellizcos de sombras, hueso. ¿Solo qué? 
No hay sol huérfano. Polar es ir poroso. Iris. Vestir las alas pelvis. Lente sacro. Anillo de nubes. Espacioso saco. Sin botones de luna. Por las horas vislumbar. Subid. Ilus. Deber. Nervio. Esfera. Reflejo. Cosa. Quema. No más ya. Okay, this, this one's a little... Um, my wife says that my palms edge into necrophilia occasionally. But the answer, of course, is that she would know. <laughs> but um, the, the truth is that the, the side are... The side of our reality that is material, our bodies, our muscles, our bones, our blood, obsess me as, as the, the act of being a piece of meat that dreams is a, is a very odd condition. And so my palms tend to waver into that. So this would qualify, I think, as another fall. I'll read it in Spanish first. Mis alucinaciones florecen y se riegan. Un dedal escupe dédalo en ayunas. Amanece a solas, laberinto, su cuerpo. Algo crece, come. Metástasis en lirios. La nostalgia rebana. Me he vuelto gusano que busca en el muerto o en lo muerto la radiante membrana. La pulpa de un muslo como un huerto donde fruta tumba rama. Estar perdido también es asunto de volar, por lo menos en los primeros momentos. My hallucinations flower and scatter. Daedalus spits into a thimble before breakfast. He awakes alone, his body a labyrinth, Something grows, feeds, metastasis in irises. Nostalgia slices. I become a worm, looking through what's dead for the radiant membrane, for the pulp in the thigh, like an orchard where fruit pulls down branches. Being lost is also a kind of flying, at least at first. And before we start um, talking, I'll read you one more uh, kind of um, urban burlesque, which is, is very typical. I, I live in a city, I live in Medellin, Colombia, and I live in a city, the metropolitan area is over five million people. And it is an extraordinary tangle of noise and, and, and congestion and and curious things bumping into each other. And I remember the beginning for this poem was I was riding in a taxi and I looked across and right next to each other there were um, there was a truck with the back open and they were throwing pieces, huge pieces of raw meat into the back of the truck. These toothless sort of laughing ghouls were throwing this meat into the back of the truck is really kind of a hellish vision. And next to that, there was a band, a Peruvian band, 
playing music from from Andean music, but they were all wearing these like red skin hair uh, head uh, gear, you know, like in in the like in the the typical Hollywood movie, you know, and it had nothing to do with their cultural identity whatsoever. But they felt that for the audience, which was a Colombian audience, that might identify them as indigenous peoples. So here we go. First in Spanish. And, that, and by the way, that became a poem. So here it is. Acompañado sudorosamente por tres músicos vestidos de piel roja. Raspo la oscuridad visible con una uña. Que lo en mi oscuro ilumine al fondo. Desde mi naturaleza sobre ella misma, dos muecos muertos de la risa lanzan los huesos frescos de un animal grande a la densidad entre los do, las dos puertas abiertas de una jaula, alas de acero estorbando taxis, en llamas cerebrales de cabezas arrojado a un hueco sin fondo para amontonar mis esfuerzos. En el desequilibrio, justicia justifica. Se destila sobre la grasa y la sangre, tumbándome a carcajadas. Yo, que colgaba de solo un cartílago. Sweatily accompanied by three musicians dressed as redskins, I scrape the darkness visible with my fingernail. Let that which darkened me shine to its bottom. From my nature upon itself. Two toothless workers dying of laughter hurl the fresh bones of a large animal into the density between the open back doors of a truck. Steel wings, obstacles for taxis. In cerebral flames, head first, dumped into a bottomless hole in order to pile up my efforts. In the imbalance, justice justifies. It slides on the fat and the blood, tumbling me down with its cackling, me that hung from a single bit of cartilage. Thank you, George, or is it Jorge, or is it Mario? Or whoever you are. Um, I'm going to start by asking you the question that I hate being asked. Oh, good. Um, why do you do it? You're a poet, a musician, a visual artist. What motivates you to make things and perform them? I think I would have to say that the original impulse came from wanting to make something outside of myself. Something that was not me and that was more reality. This has become confused with time and has changed because now I find my own voice sneaking in as another character. Um, but originally, 
it was it was almost like a fictive or a narrative impulse, even though the first things I ever wrote were poems. Um, the idea was to create something, to create a scene, to create a moment. Yeah, that's interesting because you you know you you say it was fictive, it was a story making thing, and yet your poems are not narratives, are they? So, what happened to the story? Well, even a story is a reflection of something. So you get to a point where you don't want it to be the reflection, you want it to be the thing itself. And then you begin to take apart an event or a moment. And when you begin to do that, then all hell breaks loose, in terms, structurally speaking. Because then you're, you're really making, or you're trying to make, you're not commenting. You're not talking about something. You're trying to make an event for somebody else, mm -hmm. not describe one anymore. So what's your first memory of, of actually putting something down which you considered to be a poem? Well, my first memory was a game because I, I would, I'd been taught that, that poetry was rhythmic and that it rhymed. And so when I was, say, 10 or 11 years old, I would wander around making up um, verses. Yeah. And I would, try to, I would try to make up a quatrain in my head, and then I would write it down, just yeah. almost like nursery rhymes in a way. Yeah. But, but the idea was to, to be able to be faithful to the rhyme. That, yeah. That, yeah. So, so that original kind of nursery rhyme, the, the kind of rhythmic rhyming, uh, couplet or whatever, um, which is very musical, formed the kind of basis of of your first writing. Uh, and did you write in Spanish then or English? Um, at that age, the very first things were in English, yeah. because my public space at that time was yeah. English. Um, and and in a way, I thought of it as a public game. I didn't think of it as something that would later have anything to do with my intimacy or my my. Mm -hmm mental world mm -hmm. it was it was sort of to prove that you could make this thing you know yeah. so so on the one hand you i mean this is in the bay area this is right. in san francisco or around san francisco your home life was conducted through spanish right it, it, well, i told you before the reading yeah. that in my house in my parents house the front door was the membrane on this side of the membrane only spanish on the other side of the membrane only English, mm. to the point where many of my friends had no idea I spoke Spanish. Mm. They had no idea. So that was a secret life in some ways. Sort of, without yeah. really meaning to keep the yeah. secret. Yeah. Um, but it was so absolute for me, it, was, it yeah. became like a switch yeah. that, that it, it became unconscious, really. Yeah. And you were George to those friends. To those friends. And, yeah. and for example, in my, in my house, to my mother, yeah. I was Jorge Mario. Yeah, you know, somebody completely different. Yeah. So that kind of indicates. Um, well, it actually, seeks nicely into the next question because <laughs> I, I wanted to talk about your um, your dual. I call, I'll call it dual identity because there might be more that we don't know about. Right. Yeah. Um, your English language collected poems is by George Angel, but your Spanish poems are attributed to Mario Angel. Quintero. 
And I was very curious from the start when you sent me the two PDFs to wonder how you conceived of the, these two distinct identities um, and how they get on with each other. Well, I guess maybe there's a schism there because from my perspective, the whole is kind of a, a catastrophe. Uh, this goes back to an, literally to an argument between my father and my mother. I was born in San Francisco, California to a couple that had lived their whole lives in Medellin, Colombia. So when it came time to name their oldest child, my mother wanted me to be named a good paisa antioqueño Colombian name, which was Jorge Mario. In, in, in Medellin, everybody is Jorge Mario or Carlos Mario or, this is like every, or Juan Diego. There's like three or four variations, and then that's everybody. And she was quite insistent upon that. And my father said, this is just absurd. How is he going to be born in San Francisco, California, walk around among gringos his whole life and have them mispronounce his name to him all of his life? Don't name him Jorge, name him George. So my name legally is George Mario Angel Quintero. Since my friends didn't know my middle name and didn't know I spoke Spanish, I was George Angel to them. And when I began to publish in English, for example, that was made perfect sense. But when I began to publish in Spanish, which was shortly after that, the, this was a problem because I, that George didn't make sense, especially since the, my writing in Spanish is really Colombian and is really localized to where it comes from. And so I decided, well, let's just toss George. If we toss Mario and Quintero into the garbage for the other author, let's toss George into the garbage for this one. So I took the rest of the name, Mario Angel Quintero, mm -hmm. and began publishing in Spanish under that. Mm -hmm. And the two bodies of work have never crossed. They're, if you read, um, if you read the selected poems in, in English and then you read the selected poems in Spanish, you will read a poem twice. Yeah. There, there are no poems in common. No, no, I appreciate that. And, and I also, you know, appreciate that it's something of a different voice. I mean, apart from being in a different language, uh, it seems as though, I wouldn't say it's coming from two different people, I would say it's coming from two parts of the same person. Uh, okay. But they do share certain elements. Um, they're both, to my mind, very spontaneous types of poetry. Um, that doesn't mean they're made up and not edited. That means that they have they're a quality. Excruciatingly, <laughs> excruciatingly edited. Yeah, I, I definitely got that impression. But they have a a sense of spontaneity and playfulness, which is actually very difficult to achieve spontaneously. <laughs> yes. um, 
But you mentioned that they come from different places or that they represent, you know, uh, different personae, or maybe that was my word. But can you say something about those differences and, and whether they operate at a kind of uh, deeper level um, so that you, we can get a better understanding of why you hate translating your poetry, for example, from one language to another, and why the same poems don't exist across the two languages. Right. Um, for example, there's a long poem in Spanish that's called Amapolis. Mm. And Amapolis is the description of a city. It's sort of Medellin, but it's also an imagination hovering just about a meter over mm. Medellin. And Amapolis assumes many of the voices of the city mm. and, and of the places of the city and, and slightly changes them to sort of highlight certain ironies in, mm. in Paisa Medellin life. Mm. That's something I would never do in English. Mm. I would never think of writing a poem about a city. To me, that's just, it's in, from my perspective as a, as a writer in English, it would seem gargantuan and absolutely useless for my particular voice. You know, mm -hmm. it, I, it, I don't know, Hart Crane or mm -hmm. whoever, or, or William Carlos Williams or whoever, but for me, I would never write about a city in, in English, like try to take it on. Mm -hmm. and, and it's much more... Uh, it has much more to do with these particular uh, moments of illumination mm -hmm. in, in English. Mm -hmm. it, and even though it's produced long poems, mm -hmm. there are long poems in English, but the long poems seem to be made up of lyric moments. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, how old were you when you, went to, when you moved to Medellin? No, no, no. I was very old. I was when I moved to live yeah, to Medellin. Yeah. I was thirty years old. Okay, and and so your perspective on it was it as an outsider? Do you think, or did you feel like an insider? Well, that's a you. There are, sometimes you discover that these things can occur simultaneously. You know yeah. that, for example, when I was five years old, my parents needed to save money to buy a house yeah. because they were going to leave. They wanted to leave San Francisco and move to the suburbs. So what they did was they sent my younger sister and I to live with my grandmother in Medellin mm. for a year. So I lived that year, mm. and so there's this little glimmer, this little window mm. of Medellin childhood mm. that then was erased, and then we went back to something oh, else. Okay. So, and yet, when I went to live in Medellin, for example... I found that certain words in my vocabulary came from, say, 1957 when my father had left, yeah. had left Medellin, yeah. you know, and that hadn't been used in, you yeah. know, 20 years. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It wasn't very hard to sort of catch up with it, yeah. but, but, um, and the other thing that has to do with it is my family is very much tied into the history of the city. Yeah. Um, They've been very involved in, in what ha has happened in the city. And so, so in that sense, the sense of belonging was always there. Yeah. But, but, but it had to be in completely different terms. Mm. 
In other words, I had to change. So. Yeah. That's very interesting because, because for me, I mean, as a, as a total outsider, my only visit to Medellin five years ago was, was to, to go to the Poetry Festival. Mm -hmm. There's a very big poetry festival in Medellin. And um, although I'd been to other parts of Colombia, Medellin seemed to me almost like a fictional city. Um, and of course, it's, it's been through such huge transformations mm -hmm. in the last decade, at least, and more, um, that they're kind of, it's, a, it's a kind of layered city. And in that way, to me, even as an outsider, would seem to lend itself to the kind of um, metaphysical doubling that you describe in 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 your in the Annapolis in the Amapolis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. The the it's a very peculiar city because I mean most people probably know about it through Pablo because, Escobar. Yeah, because you've yeah, heard of yeah, the drug yeah, cartel yeah, or whatever. Yeah. But it, it's it's actually a city that that it's an extremely conservative city that at the same time has some of the country's wildest rebels mm. living in it, mm. and 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 it is a, a city that has, for being a very Catholic city, it has an enormous tolerance for sin, mm. uh, uh, and um, and it, for example, something that might seem unexpected when when uh, you go to the opening ceremony of the or the closing ceremony of the poetry festival which will occur in a couple of weeks there are 4,000 people in the audience mm. you know and all of them are really young people mm. you know mm. the the Italian poet Carlo Bordoni asked me what is what is this mm. you know what is this all about and uh, he said what are these young people doing here mm. you know and there was, there was this moment when, a, a year before that when it, they were in an outdoor amphitheater and it began to pour down rain. And, you know, the organizers went up to the mic and said, you know, we're going to postpone and we'll do it again, da da da, da this other day. And the people would have none of it. They refused. And they stood out there in the rain chanting one more poem until the, all of the program was, was done. You know, and people who'd seen a lot of different contexts for poetry, people mm. like Aroldo de Campos and mm. people like that, mm. were like, what, what is this? Mm. My only explanation for, to, to Carlo about this was, my sense is that in Medellin, people, especially young people, confuse poetry and hope. Yeah. Well, I certainly got a strong sense of, of poetry being used as a vehicle for resistance, uh, especially in, in Medellin, but also across Central America. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in Nicaragua, for right, example, at the festival in, in, in Granada. There, in Granada. Where, you know, again, thousands of people, mm -hmm. you just don't get events like that. What, listening to poetry? You know, in a, in, a, in a square in the town with two and a half thousand people, kids climbing up trees to watch poetry, and you think there's something a bit wrong here. But um, in, in Medellin, I was very moved by that 
and as you say, the overwhelming um, crowd is, is very young. And, and I guess if you're going to confuse something with hope, it might as well be poetry um, as anything else. No? Uh, let's talk about um, one or two poems that, that I've been reading of yours that, that um, filled me with questions. Oh, yeah. oh dear. Okay, let's uh, do that. Um, you got a poem called My Funniest Mistake. Right. Um, which begins with the lines... Written my, in English, by the way. Written in English. My funniest mistake is that I took life personally. And in the commentary that precedes the, 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 the foreword to that um, collected poems, selected poems, um, raises the question of you say personally rather than seriously. Okay. Um, and I was wondering about what that difference is. Um, how does one take life personally? Right. Well, this, this ties into, um, for example, if you go to New York City, the first thing that a New Yorker says to you is, when they honk, don't take it personally. You know, because if you come from somewhere else, you feel like you've done something wrong or you're being singled out. No, no, this is just the nature of the language, right? Mm -hmm. This is how they express themselves through, you know, through the horn on the on mm -hmm. on their car. Um, I think that it was. I'm I'm kind of making fun of myself mm -hmm. for an excessive sensitivity mm -hmm. of taking it like this 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 thing that that the adolescent always does, which mm -hmm. is. Why, why me, Lord? You know, mm, why, mm. why, why did this have to happen? To, why am I, mm. as if mm. life worked that way? And and in fact, what one learns as one continues to live is that one's not only insignificant, but absolutely irrelevant as well. Mm. You know, if things go well, great. If things go terrible, I'm very sorry. Mm. Mm. But, but the idea that mm. that one can rebut mm. or respond in some way mm -hmm. to what life has dealt one is, is, mm. is absurd and, mm. and childish in some mm. way. Mm. So it's along those lines. Yeah, well, it's, it's a way of playing, um, well, of, of, I mean, I see you as a philosophical poet, but who's, who's also deeply, play, deeply playful. Can you be <laughs> deeply playful? Um, ludic. Mm. Um, you mentioned when you were reading the flame poem that for reasons that would become obvious, uh, you were reading it in English first. That I hoped. Are uh, you hoped? Well, I'm extraordinarily dim today. Um, and See, I knew this would happen. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to ask you to explain why you did that thing. Okay. The reason I read it in English first is because one of the main lines in that poem is it's music from verse to verse mm. and it's rhythms from verse to verse and that of course is very apparent in the spanish original mm. and and so i wanted you to n not be worrying at all about what it meant and just be listening mm. to that to that second part mm -hmm. and also because it's a kind of icarus falling from the sky and bouncing off clouds as he goes mm -hmm. in like a pinball machine mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. And, and so I need that kind of rhythm to work 
and I think it, it, it may work in Spanish. I'm almost positive it doesn't work at all in English. Mm -hmm. um, so in spite of this kind of uh, insistence, insistence in several of the poems on, on the fragmentary and, and, uh, and transient nature of everything, um, there's also a sense of responsibility lurking there, which I've noted in, in um, well, in, in almost all the poems. That, you know, they're, they're playful on the surface, but they carry a message of, of, of responsibility on a deeper level. Um, do you think that the poet, as such, has a responsibility towards their readership beyond the simple enjoyment of the poem. Well, I think responsibility on some level is all of our lot, you know. Mm -hmm. I, I think that that it it pre-exists the, the, the situation of being a poet mm -hmm. and simply in the situation of being human, you mm -hmm. know. Uh, we're, we find ourselves a lot of the time trying to get out of things. Mm. And um, the truth is we never totally mm. succeed mm. at getting out of things. Mm. And so uh, I think there's, a, there's an acknowledgement, a mm. strong acknowledgement of that. And whether the reader takes that to heart or not, I, mm. can't, yeah. I can't pretend to know. But, but certainly... I, I would not want... To, to encourage anyone to fool themselves. Yeah. Uh, which leads me neatly into a last question before we have some more poems, which is um, actually, I'm going to have to look at this because it, it begins with a quotation. Go. Um, Borges said about his poetry that whatever he had written could not save him because what is good belongs to no one, not even to him but rather to language and to tradition. Um, what is your relationship to that tradition? How do you see your poetry as part of, broadly speaking, a Colombian or, or even more absurdly, a Latin American mm -hmm. tradition? I think that you know very well that there are many veins to, to the, the huge mine which is uh, Latin American poetry. And many times in Latin America, although now they say, you know, I've heard various poets say, heard a po Mexican poet say this uh, about a month ago, that, that the term Latin American doesn't, Latin American poetry doesn't exist anymore, mm -hmm. that we had fragmented into countries. That's not true at all. Mm -hmm. And in fact, we, we may be fragmented, but we didn't fragment into countries. Mm -hmm. We fragmented into these kinds of tendencies. Mm -hmm. We have these different kinds of and and so there's a there's a tendency toward a kind of there's one tendency that's toward a kind of transparent language mm. that wishes to communicate its point its idea what's going on right in a very clear and kind of direct way now and I by the way I'll only talk about the veins which I consider poetry there's a lot of other things being called poetry mm. which as far as I'm concerned have more to do with commerce than mm -hmm. anything else, mm -hmm. but but this is a, a Borges is a good example. Mm -hmm. You know, when you read a poem like 
1964. Mm. That poem is telling you exactly what it means. Mm. And it's telling you, you know. Uh, it's as if you were sitting across from Borges having lunch, mm. and he's telling you, look, love is gone, hope is over, mm. you know. And I'm not going to dress it up, and I'm not going to adorn it and put little flowers on it, and this is it. That's one. Mm. And then there's another that is, that is um, uh, sort of uh, mid-range lyrical, mm. which is a poem that is still very understandable, but, but, but has these kind of lyric moments, these kind mm. of luminous moments. Um, your friend uh, Juan Manuel Roca is an mm. example mm -hmm. of, that, of mm. that tendency for me. And then there are those poets who feel like language is falling apart in their hands mm. and, and, that, and that somehow they, if they can hope to make anything with it in those moments that they can shape mm. it mm. because it's, it's as if it were a living thing. Mm. Um, and there we would talk about people like Vallejo mm. or we would talk about people like Vicente Huidobro mm. or we would talk about um, even, even in his, though he was very conversational at times, someone like Nicanor Parro. Mm -hmm. And uh, I feel like, uh, although of course I don't pretend to be part of that company, I feel like I am in line yeah, yeah. With, with, with that yeah, particular yeah, side yeah. of things. Yeah. Well, we could talk a lot more about um, Parra and, and his influence on the whole, let's call it Latin American poetry, because that's it's probably been the biggest single influence on, on yeah. But um, I think that we should listen to some more poems now. And uh, I certainly have got tired of hearing my own voice and would like to listen to some poetry. Okay. Yeah. I'll read um, One More Rise and Fall. And then um, we'll, we'll be able to, unless after that, maybe if they want any questions, if there's any yeah, time left over. Or, but um, I'll do two more poems. Um, the first one has to do, again, with aspiration, with that dreaming, what it is to dream, what it is to want something more. And sometimes for me, that's like a, that's our basic mistake. Maybe that's what taking life personally is. And uh, for me, it's, it's a lot like uh, uh, a bird trapped in a closet. It keeps trying to get to the sky, but it keeps smacking against the top of the closet. It's locked in somehow, and its aspirations are, are not going to get um, fulfilled. And this is, this is a mistake. And so in this poem, oh, and there's another thing. <laughs> this is a very odd uh, influence on this. Um, you, you guys know who Douglas Adams is, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? He, he had this great thing about flying, because I'm always on the lookout for stuff about flying. And he said that the, the only trick to flying was really to fall very badly. If, 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 you, didn't, if you couldn't get the trick of falling, then you would end up flying. That would, that would be the, the end result. And so... So this is a poem made up of verbal mistakes that try to be a way of flying. 
but of course, in the end, we only fly up here. I'll read this one, and it's for the same reason as last one. I'll read uh, this one in English first. You rose to closet, put a coat on wings, tip-tap, 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 weaving yourself from all that is badly roofed, you spoke your head against a star. Tip-tap, tip-tap, tip-tap. To unpearl it in that open place, thus owled. He-ren, she-ren, he-ren, she-ren, he-ren, she-ren. You opened embers to blow up the sky. You bent down into a hand. He-ren, she-ren, he-ren, she-ren. He ran. You capsized a child with waves of time and tempo's rhythm. Swift swallow, swift swallow. Misplacing yourself among golden paper. Now I own everything. Wagtail kiskadee, wagtail kiskadee. Hook and gyre upon a wing, prepositions the article, bis, 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 bis. the some-portent vault dunt up over the trees, light is a roof beam, and you will only open toward a blue heat. Subiste para escaparate. Abrigaste las alas, taque, toque, taque, toque, dejándote de todo lo mal techo. Te dijiste la cabeza contra una estrella, taque, toque, taque, toque, para caperla en ese abierto, por lo tanto, lechuza. Cucarachero, cucaracherita, cucarachero, cucaracherita, cucarachero, cucaracherita. Abriste las brasas para volar el cielo, te agachaste en una mano. Cucarachero, cucaracherita, cucarachero, cucaracherita. Sosobraste un niño con las olas del ritmo de tiempo y tempo. Chuchica choscua, chuchica choscua, chuchica choscua. La letra T es un ala. Las nubes son el humo de la explosión de cada segundo. Chuchica choscua, chuchica choscua, chuchica choscua. Te embolataste en papel dorado. Ya lo hago todo. Chiribibicho fue, chiribibicho fue, chiribibicho fue, chiribibicho fue. Dan que agacharse es bueno y después lo empiezan. Chiribibicho fue, chiribibicho fue. Gancho y girar sobre un ala preposiciona el artículo. Pis, 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 pis. Lo aportante abovedándote por encima de los árboles. Picotic, picotac, picotic, picotac, picotic, picotac. La luz es una alfarda y solo te abres hacia un calor azul. Finally, um, 
about another kind of another kind of falling. Um, I think that sometimes, and it's something that I, I'm seeing a lot in the world right now, this tendency toward isolation, toward wanting to be part of a bubble uh, and not wanting to have contact with or being threatened by that which is outside. So this is about my city, which sometimes seems to me like a city of cocoons. I'll read it in Spanish first. Caerse. Ser tumbado y tumbador. La runa en ruinas. La ciudad como tumba. Coma de rumbas. Uno caído del sueño, otro de la borrachera. Cuando construir es tumbar. En mi ciudad las ventanas y los portones se llenan de ladrillos. En su ciudad el ladrillo es sagrado. En la mía los perros pasan el día con un taladro. Medellín se hace y se deshace cada cinco minutos. Los sueños se construyen a la lata. Se ven casas por toda la ciudad cuyos pisos están cubiertos de hechos donde entran el solamentes y la lluvida. Al caído, caele. Me caigo en Dios, me caigo en Medellín, el costal en que me meto para dormir y no ver nada. Somos una ciudad de cuerpos regados así. Falling. To be knocked down and to knock down. The ruin in ruins, the city as tomb, as eater of festive collapses. This one fallen from sleep, this one from drunkenness. When to build is to knock down. In my city, the windows and the doorways fill with bricks. In your city, the brick is sacred. In mine, even the dogs have jackhammers. Medellin makes itself and unmakes itself every five minutes. Dreams are constructed at full throttle. There are houses all over the city whose floors are covered in deeds, where only the sun in the mind and the life rain gets in. Fall on the fallen. I fall in God. I fall in Medellin, the sack I have crawled into to sleep and not see. We are a city of bodies strewn like this. Thank you.